This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from ADL's headquarters in New York. Recently, I announced I was taking a hiatus from doing this show, but nothing is the same in the face of Hamas's barbaric actions in Israel, which resulted in more than 1,200 people being murdered, more than 3,000 injured, over 150 taken hostage, and a world that is reeling from such savagery. In the face of this, I am reviving my podcast with one purpose, to bring to you the stories from Israel that must be heard. If there were ever a front line, this is it. I want to start with the group that until October 7th was called Achim Leneshek, Brothers and Sisters in Arms. They were a large and well-organized group of reservists who were leading a pro-democracy movement in Israel, organizing huge protests. That all changed on October 7th. Here to tell us the extraordinary story of the past few days is Shai Lindner, a volunteer leader of this organization. Welcome, Shai, too, from the front lines. Hi, Scott. Thank you very much for having us. Let's start with the fact that you immediately changed your name. What is the new name and why did you change it? The new name is Brothers and Sisters for Israel. And as you said, it was immediately changed because on October 7th, 6.30 a.m., everything changed in Israel. The minute the attack, the, the barbaric attack by Hamas, ISIS, occurred, we understood that we are no longer a protest movement, but rather we are a humanitarian aid movement with the sole purpose of helping Israel, of defending Israel, of getting Israel out of the situation. Now, on this October 6th, we were a protest movement with more than 30,000 volunteer, active volunteers. On October 7th, half of our power joined the army to fight, and half of them, which were not recruited, stay to assist in, in the efforts. This type of immediate change from an organization which was born out of division to an organization focused on unity, this is not just limited to your organization. Tell us how the country is unifying in the face of this horror. We had nine months of protest. We actually think of them as fighting for democracy because there, was, there were those who were trying to lead for anti-democratic legislation. So for nine months, a lot of civil movement, movements have been involved in the protest, which you could also view as a benefit because when the attack occurred, we had a lot of people involved, a lot of people, a lot of groups of people ready to jump in to assist. All the mechanisms were already set. So the, the, the minute we understood, we understood what is happening, tens of thousands of people came to the calling and started working in helping the entire country. And we're talking on several levels of, of, of help. And we set up in one day a huge organization of volunteers, tens of thousands of people doing everything. The situation in Israel is so dire. The stories from the front are so terrible. They are worse than ISIS. They are worse than the worst Nazi stories we heard. From Kishinev, they are worse than anything any of us encountered in his life. And it sprung the entire country to action. And it unified everybody into the civil organizations striving 
to help as much as they can, can in all fronts. So let's talk about your work. We set up in one day four centers, two in the front and two in Tel Aviv. The two in the front are the one, the first one is a logistics center, which receives a lot of equipment meant both for the reserves and the, and the military soldiers, whatever they need, and they, they, they raise their voice that they need it, and we can provide it. We are uh, working on providing it. The second center in the front is helping people there, They're doing multiple missions. Only today, more than 500 volunteers came to the center to see what they can help. And they go to cities, bombard cities, and take out old people out of their homes. They were locked in the shelters for five days, eating only cheese and milk. And our volunteers, our armed volunteers, they come, they take them, they bring them out of those areas. So there are still people who are, are stuck in, in their shelters? Yes, mainly the, 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 the weaker population who doesn't understand orders or who has no personal capability to go out themselves. And we are providing them aid. We see humanitarian stories of children who lost all their families and their pet was also lost there. So we took missions to bring their pets to the children. And you see the movies of children united with their dog or their cat, and they're heartbreaking. In the South, we have a lot of, of, of cows, a lot of dairies, dairy areas. And if you don't milk a cow, it will die in excruciating pain. So we arranged a mission of farmers, volunteers, and we took them in, you know, with helmets and everything to milk the cows. We even did more, less, uh, uh, less uh, hero stories, but helping people to go look in the corpse for their relatives, to look, to try to, to find them. So those are the two centers in the South. One logistics that received the equipment, and the second one is the humanitarian center. The two other sec- missions in, in Tel Aviv, one is another logistics center that receives all the donations a lot of donations coming in. They unpack them, they, or, they organize them, and then they send them when, wherever they're needed because they are refugees all across the country. We take care of them. We have several missions that we're doing. One is purchasing and logistics. We're sourcing between uh, whatever people need. You can get a call of 30 people in a, from a village. They, they lost their homes, and we find mattresses we get donation of mattresses and if we don't get donation we buy the mattresses some equipment we import from the u.s hospitals had a huge amount of trauma victims coming to their to the hospitals so if there is missing equipment they come to us and we help source them we also help all the organizations with the import procedures with the freight with the with the logistics and this is one part the second part is to help people who lost their homes, the people who are wounded or injured as much as we can. So if you have a shiva, you know, when you sit and mourn the, the person you love, they don't have a house to sit in. So we organize for them houses. We organize for them buses to come and go. We organize all the equipment we need. We, we take care of them as much as possible. And the refugees, as I explained, they need more equipment from 
the simple day-to-day clothes, clothes and, uh, and games for the children and some of the furnitures to the new houses that, we, that they were put in in the meantime. And the last activity, which I think is one of the most difficult, we have several hundred uh, volunteers who sit daily 24-7 in shifts trying to locate unaccounted for person, missing persons. A lot of families still haven't found their deer. They don't know if they were kidnapped to Gaza. They don't know if they were murdered. They don't know if they are lying unconscious in the hospital. They, they don't have any ideas. Uh, ideas. They, sometimes the Hamas on purpose try to confuse us, to change identities. To, and, and those volunteers are looking through social media in Israel, in, in Arabic, trying to find any piece of information, helping the families, talking with them, looking for, for any uh, lead to the identity and to the whereabouts of those people. So on and all, we have on every day more than 2,000 volunteers who are active in the core business and thousands more helping us doing shifts, driving people, bringing equipment, donating, contributing. Everybody here feels they have to do something for the greater good. What is the current situation uh, in the south, in the areas near Gaza? They are still incursions. They are trying. They are still trying to break in the Hamas. There are still a lot of terrorists uh, hiding in, in in the villages. The army is fighting on a daily basis with them. There are a lot of alarms. You, when we started the podcast, I was in the shelter after alarm went off in Tel Aviv now, in the center of, of Israel, and there are a lot of alarms there. Uh, the, the area, most of it is still closed, so you can only go with an armed escort. Actually, those are the easier parts, because the hard parts are what you hear from the refugees, what you hear from the soldiers who went in about the horrors that they encountered and faced and how they were rescued. So it's not only in the physical and in the them bombarding all of Israel. It's of what they did to people in their own safety of their houses, coming in and doing unimaginable atrocities. Let's talk about the volunteers. I mean, it, this this work is truly uh, extraordinary. It's all done by volunteers. There's no paid staff at all. None. Zero. Zero people uh, get paid. What's What's your profession? I'm a CFO, a chief financial officer of a large construction company. At, at least I, I, I was a few weeks ago. I haven't been in. I, I, I have worked for a few hours only this week uh, for a couple of hours. All the rest of our time is devoted to 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 this. We have people. We have lawyers. We have architects. We have we have an um, incredible lady organizing the logistics. She had a startup when this started, and she said, "I hope I will have it when it ends." But is it, it is more important for me to be here and make sure we bring all the equipment. We have entrepreneurs. We have people of all imaginable profession you can imagine, and they're all volunteering. We have the top entrepreneurs from the Israeli high tech industry helping to organize it. So you get this incredible collection of good people who are coming with open hearts and not thinking, working from uh, dusk till dawn uh, or dawn to dusk. I'm not sure if you say it. <laughs> They're right, but 
they're, they're probably working 24 7 actually <laughs> we're, we're trying to work 21 to get a few hours of rest but yes okay. working you know and, and it's a difficult situation because there are no schools so the kids start home and you don't want to leave them alone so there's a lot of maneuvering done and all in all it's if if there's a huge uh, ray of light, ray, ray of sun in this darkness, it is the way our entire people came together, are volunteering, are working, are doing the best. And, and, and the most important thing to understand, it is not something transitory. It's not something that it's now and then it will be over because we are facing a very long period of reconstruction in the of the country. And I'm not talking only in the physical sense. In the physical sense, yes, but not only. We will have to do a huge building up of trust, of institutions, of education centers, of rebuilding and, and recovering the people. You have to understand the numbers. When we're talking about 1,400, it's now 1,400 casualties, if you normalize it, to the 9-11, it's more than 40,000. So there's hardly anybody who doesn't know anyone who, who got lost there. Right, it, right. I mean, it, it, we should be clear, there are not even 10 million people living in Israel. And the US, for example, is a country of almost 350 million people. Exactly. And, and worse than that is the idea that someone comes into your house, butchers you, rape you, molest you. People were were handcuffed and then burned. Pregnant women, their stomach were cut, the fetus was taken out, murdered before the eyes of the mother, and then she would murder. The, the, the most unimaginable atrocities someone can do. So as a, as, as a humanitarian organization, the, the brothers and sisters for Israel, we view ourselves as a group that will take a, a focal point in the reconstruction of the company. We are here to stay as an organization to help rebuild the country, to help rehabilitate the country, and to participate in all the necessary movements that to restore the, the country to where it was and should be. Are all of your volunteers Jewish? The answer is no. We have Druze, we have Bedouins, they also suffered. We have Christian people working for us. All the country, you know, Israel is a diverse country. And everybody is contributing whatever they can. The Bedouin population in the south also suffered, uh, I think, 17 casualties at the moment. The Druze population, they are fighting shoulder to shoulder. They are our brothers and sisters as well. The Christian population also are brothers and sisters. So everybody here together, hand in hand, is, is working together. I think that's a story that people don't focus on, the number of people who lost their lives, who were not Jewish. I think there were quite a number of Arabs who were killed by Hamas. There is a story of a hero Bedouin driver who took his transit vehicle in and out of the party, rescuing people. And there was a Bedouin woman. They knew she was a Bedouin. She was, wear, uh, she was dressed as a Bedouin. Her husband told, shouted at them in Arabic, she's a Bedouin, and they shot her and killed her. So there are a lot of stories. Everybody got hurt by Hamas ISIS. You started to say some of these stories. And as you said them, I mean, it's hard to imagine that anybody 
could do something like that to a pregnant woman. As much as I don't want to hear these stories, I think it, it is our responsibility to hear them. You must have encountered some really very difficult uh, stories from the people that you're you're meeting in the South. Maybe tell us one or two that were the, the most shocking. It's hard to voice it. I went today to the hospital to visit a friend of mine. He's a reservist in the Israeli Navy SEALs. The moment he, he got the call, he went to the far front, to Be'eri. Be'eri kibbutz was where the most atrocities uh, things could be done. And, uh, and he got injured really bad. He was uh, on the verge of dying on Sunday morning, and he's recovering now. And he fought from house to house. They booby-trapped dead people they put grenades in dead people so when the army moved them they will they would explode i i spoke with a friend today who was in the kibbutz they fired anti-missile weapons on their shelter and and then lit it up to make them come out people were hiding under the cars in the party there was a huge party of young people coming to dance to celebrate love the nova party so people hid under cars they lit the cars on fire and let them burn. They raped young women until they were dismembered. My friend told me that they, were, they found on the terrorists, they also found drugs. And when they are interrogated, the surviving terrorists, they say, we came to rape. Our order was to rape, to molest, to mutilate, to humi humiliate. You know, the guy there, and they are the toughest of the toughest, they said, what we saw there, we will never forget. We cannot sleep with these images in our minds. Complete families were butchered, one before the other. I, I think it's enough. I cannot. It's, please, let's move to another yes. subject. Because... Yes. All right. Well, so maybe let's broaden to the idea of what the mood is right now in the country. On the one hand, we have to live with those stories, with those feelings that you know, we left all of Gaza. There is no territorial claim in Gaza. And yet Hamas, ISIS, came in, and we found ISIS flags there, came into our cities and did all those atrocities. So on the one hand, there is a big shock. On the other hand, there is this huge surge of willing to help, to assist, to volunteer, to contribute. We see it in the Brothers and Sisters for Israel. Every day, all our phones are swamped with messages. What can I do? Where can I help? My father, he's 78 years old. What can I do? Uh, kids come and say, what, how can we help? So on the one hand, we got bitten hard in terms of what we saw and what we feel. On the other hand, as uh, President Biden cleverly said, our hearts may be broken, but our resolve is clear. President Biden made what I would consider to be the most pro-Israel speech I have ever heard a president make. There's been a lot of support from around the world. Uh, is that is that support felt in Israel? You you know what the rating of his speech was in Israel? Tell me. Forty-eight point one percent of the households sat down and watched his speech. It warmed our hearts. It was. Amazing. It was amazing to know that our friends are standing by, by, by our sides. A couple of days later, on Wednesday, Mr. Blinken came to visit us in the Brothers and Sisters for Israel Center to see our collective efforts. 
and we feel our pain is shared. It's it's a it's a true sympathy. We feel we felt it. We feel the same from our Jewish brothers, and not only Jewish, from the communities in the U.S. rising to the help, trying to assist us wherever they can. I think in the net, we, we we still need the help. We will need this help. But I think what the president did, was what Mr. Blinken did, is, is a true friendship, a true partnership of our greatest ally in the world. Let's talk about that help uh, and maybe end on a constructive note. How can people listening to this podcast help? The first thing you need to know is that we need you to understand what is happening here, to be able to voice it the industry of Hollywood, of raising uh, false movies, and they're trying to change it. Hamas is ISIS. That's the bitter truth. And we have to uh, fight ISIS and, and root them out. So this is something you have to understand and, and, and agree with and give us the time and the support to do so. The second is we are in our efforts we are sourcing a lot of equipment, a lot of medical equipment, a lot of civilian equipment, and a lot of protective gear sometimes. There are a lot of equipment that we need, and we need all the contribution possible from the civilian to the medical to the protective gear, everything. Whether you can contribute by sourcing the suppliers, by contributing the equipment itself, or by donating to our efforts so we can source the equipment we have an organized a very organized machine we built we set it up we have the leading vcs in israel send their send their people to assist us in the fundraising we have the leading logistic companies supporting us we have the the leading retail everything we, we are setting up this very very organized machine that is able to manage to uh, organize, to coordinate all the efforts, and we need all the support that we can get. Despite the fact that we are all volunteering, the equipment costs money, the aid costs money, and, and there are a lot of unorganized uh, requests for, for aid now, and we're trying to organize it, and there are a lot of organizations. But what we have done in five days of moving from organized protest organization to a humanitarian organization is incredible. You can look in the Twitter by Mr. Blinken. You can see a small part of what we do of our logistics, but there are a lot of activities that we are doing. We need the, the monetary support. How can people get in touch with you if they want to give you any kind of support or even learn more about you? We have our website. We have a uh, links that they can join and contribute, can learn about us, can donate to us. It's brothersandsistersforisrael.org, and it's all one yeah. word, brothersandsistersforisrael.org. Chai, your work and the work of Brothers and Sisters for Israel is nothing short of heroic, and the story of how you retooled this protest group in what seemed like seconds is incredibly inspiring. Thank you so much for all you do, and thank you for being on this very special edition of From the Front Lines. Thank you very much, Scott, for your platform, for this conversation, and for supporting us and standing with Israel. Thank you, everybody. And a big thank you to you, the listeners who tuned in to From the Front Lines podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, 
or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on Facebook and X. My Twitter handle is at Scott A. Richmond. My Instagram and threads handle is at Scott underscore ADL. And our hashtag is fighting hate for good. <laughs>